This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Hey, it's Glenn, and I want to remind you, peace of mind is tough to come by these days unless you have a Liberty Safe. With a Liberty Safe, you won't worry when you leave the house because you'll know your valuables are protected. And right now, you can get free delivery to your home on any Liberty Safe. Go to LibertySafe.com for factory direct pricing. LibertySafe.com, made in the USA, lifetime warranty, and peace of mind. LibertySafe.com. Glenn Beck, the Blaze Radio Network. Hello, America, and welcome to the Glenn Beck Program. I want to thank you so much for listening today. There's a lot to go over. We have the latest in the poll numbers. We have the latest warning from HSBC, the the, uh, big banking firm that is now issuing a red alert saying that they believe a stock market crash, one that resembles 1987, if anybody remembers that, it was the second biggest stock market crash in uh, the nation's history next to 1929. Uh, they're saying that that is about to happen here in the United States. Isn't it interesting, after eight years of George W. Bush, we crash because we propped this thing up. And after eight years of Barack Obama, it's about to crash because we propped this thing up. I want to talk to you about propping things up and... Uh, how we shouldn't look for an easy fix. We begin there right now. I will make a stand. I will raise my voice. I will hold your hand. Cause we have won. I will beat my drum. I have made my choice. We will overcome. Cause we are The fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glen. I want to talk to you about family. I want to talk to you a little bit about my family in particular. Um, I have uh, two kids that are out of their teens in their 20s now, and I remember what their teen years were like. And, uh, and I have two kids that are about to go into their teen years. I have a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old, and we have really tried to um, be good parents. We have really tried to do the right things, to spend time with them, um, and, and to make sure that we foster what is in them um, to, to help them. We've tried to be good parents, and I think you probably do exactly the same thing. The one thing that Tanya and I said that we wanted to do is we wanted to have dinner together every night. Now, that's been darn near impossible. And I want to show you what's happened in my family. We say, and we have this conversation about every six months, we have got to get the family together to have dinner every night. We have to sit down. That's the core of the family. Why do we want to do that? We want to do that so we have a chance to come together and renew our family and renew our family principles. Not that we're sitting there talking, okay, now, kids, remember, these are our principles. That we just listen to each other. We understand one another. We learn to to talk to one another. 
And we realize that our family and our familiar love is the center and the core of what will get us through any tough time. Okay? Here's our current schedule. From a family and two parents that say they want to have dinner together every night. Monday night is open. Monday night, we uh, can have dinner together. Everybody is home, usually by 6, maybe 7 o'clock, so we can have dinner together. But that's also our family home evening, and that's the night that we're going to play a game together. We're going to read our scriptures together. We're going we're to do something together as a family. But I have to come back to Monday in a minute because Tuesday, Rafe has fencing. Cheyenne has ballet. So fencing and ballet, I mean, ballet, she lives for ballet. Rafi is, we just want him to engage and to do some things that he wants that don't involve a computer. Um, Wednesday is scouts and activity nights. So Cheyenne is out at church and doing an activity night, and Tanya is doing activity night, and Rafe is at Scouts. Both of them, I want both of them to do those. Thursday, I work late. Thursday night is the night that we have a a staff meeting, and we work late. Sometimes I'm not home until 9 o'clock on Thursday night. Important, have to do it. Friday is date night. If Tanya and I don't, if, if we fall apart and forget why we fell in love with each other, if we're not on the same page, we're not going to make it. And date night, while it's really, really important, we still, every night, I said to her this morning, I said, boy, I'd really like to talk to you sometime soon. And she said, I know. <laughs> because the only time we talk to each other is when we get to bed at night. And I'm usually like, please, for the love of God, I, I, I just got to go to sleep. And she is just wants to talk and, okay, so that's the only time we get to talk. Saturday is, uh, Saturday is karate for both of the kids. uh, And fighting ballet, yes, there are. Uh, Ballet for the kids. It's also a day of travel. Uh, I give speeches. It's a day that's kind of up in the air. And when we do have our night together, it's usually a family movie night. Um, Saturday is kind of is up in the air. Can't count on Saturday. Sunday is the only day we can count on. Because we made a universal law, nothing on Sunday. So the entire family gets together on Sunday. Which brings me back to Monday, because I have two nights, right? I really have two nights. My goal was to have... Seven nights. But when it comes down to it, I have two nights that I can count on, maybe a Saturday. Unfortunately, Saturday also is the only night that we can ever really go and do things with any friends. So if we want to go out with friends, and I mean all of us as families, we'll go out and go see a movie or we'll go do something as families together. And so we don't really have dinner together on Saturday nights either. Um... And on Monday nights, Monday's the only open night. So if anything comes up, you got to schedule it on Monday. So a family that says our goal is to have dinner every night together, 
all of these for very good reasons, has dinner together once a week. Guaranteed once a week. Well, that's not bad, right? Gosh. I got to say, it's funny because you say that, and I think you're actually doing better than a lot of families. Oh, You know why? You know why? Because on Sunday... Most families don't declare that as sacred. Right. So then you have the, so, you have that one day. Yeah, we have that one day. And if we didn't declare that day sacred, and it's it's not as sacred as it should be. I still do work on Sunday. I still am reading. I'm still doing things on Sunday. We don't go anywhere. We don't spend any money. We don't go to the mall. We don't go over to friends' houses. Uh, we stay at home on Sunday. But that's only because of our religious conviction. If we didn't have our religious conviction, Sunday would just be another day that would fill up. And we'd have nothing. Now, let me show you what could happen if someone wanted to control my family. If somebody wanted to tear my family apart, here's how easy it would be. At ballet... Somebody could say, oh, by the way, I, on those nights, I also forgot, I didn't cover homework has to be done as well. So everybody's in the same boat. Now, at ballet, if I wanted to tear my family apart, I would go to my daughter who's in ballet and say, you are a dancer. You are a dancer. And you know, your dad, he doesn't understand you. Because really only dancers can understand you. And there's something special about you. And you just know things that your dad will never really understand. You think that might happen? You think that that might uh, begin to tear or plant bad seeds? You know, if your dad loved you, he'd be here. He'd be watching you. He'd be waiting in the car for you during this ballot. Your mom is. How come your dad never is? I'm not sure your dad really loves you. At karate or at fencing, same thing could be said to my son. You are so good. You're so gifted. You're so talented at this. Your dad, I've never really seen your dad. You know, the last, you know, the last um, fencing match that we had, where was your dad? Oh, yeah, he was on the road. He couldn't go. He had to watch it on Skype. Oh, I know what that feels like. I had a dad who didn't really love me. Okay. (laughs) All right. No, I'm not saying this is happening. No. I'm saying, and what happens? In a busy family, by the time you hit your teenage years, your kids already resent everybody else's activities because everybody else's activities are interfering with what they want to do. Honey, we can't do that because you know so-and-so on Tuesday night has this. So no, you can't do that. And no, you have to stay home on Sunday. It's our only day as a family. And so as the family grows, the teens grow up, they start to say, you know what? I I resent so-and-so for having this. I resent the fact that I'm always the one, right? You just add somebody on the outside piling on and helping fuel that, and you destroy the family destroy the family. That's how easy it is to destroy the family. Well, I contend that our country is just like the family. 
And we are being divided because while you're in your art world, somebody says, you know, you know who doesn't understand the arts? You know who hates the arts? It's those conservatives. While you're at church, somebody can say to you, you know who hates God? All those liberals. And if there's an ounce of truth in that, you begin to resent them. You resent them because they don't understand your artwork. I don't get that, man. That's just, it's a blue painting. It's flat blue. I could have gone to Sherwin-Williams and got blue 23 and used a roller and done that. How dare you? You don't understand. No, I don't understand. And somebody comes to our world. This Constitution thing. They get, oh, the guys in the powdered wigs. And we resent them. And what's, what happens is we have people on top that are saying for their own power that want to destroy our family. We have people outside saying, you know, they never get you. They never will. They're going to destroy you. They're going to hold you back. And because we don't meet as a family anymore, we don't know who we are anymore. Because nobody is calling us back at least one day a week and saying, these are our principles. These are our values. This is what is true. And it applies to the art world and the powdered wig world. It, it is required in all worlds. And no matter how different we are, we can all come together. But we don't know what our principles are. Yesterday I did an interview with, I don't remember who. Um, I don't remember who it was. And um, the reporter said to me, so how do we fix this? And I said, nobody wants to hear the answer. But it's really easy. We have to come together on principles. Well, what principles? This is the easiest answer of them all. Let's start with the Bill of Rights. That I have a right to say what I think and believe. There are no safe zones. You can't shut me up. The only speech worth protecting is the speech you despise. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. How about that one? That's the First Amendment. That I have a right to practice my religion or no religion at all. That you can't spy on me as the government. You can't arrest me in the middle of the night. We don't, we don't round you up and put you on a list where you can't face your accuser, know what you're being accused of, be it a no-fly list or a, some IRS list or some crime. And that there is no special privilege. The word privilege actually means, in the old world, private laws. I'm a person of privilege. I have the privilege of making the stained glass windows for the church. Now, when I say that to you now, I'm a glassmaker. I had the privilege of making the stained glass windows for the cathedral. What would that mean to you? That you were honored to be asked to make this. I had the privilege to make that, right? That's not what that word means. 
historically that word means there are special laws for glassmakers. And I am part of the guild of glassmakers. You cannot make the glass for the cathedral because the law requires that you belong to my guild, which I am in. I have the privilege, I have the private laws that allow me and enable me to be the only person that makes that glass. We've we've lost touch with what privilege even means. And yet, I contend, and I want to spell this out when we come back, this is what caused the problem with the French Revolution It was the difference between the French Revolution and the American Revolution. The misunderstanding of the word privilege. And it is why we will repeat a French Revolution unless we understand what privilege and equality actually means. First this. LifeLock. 70% believe the government should protect their personal information. 70%. The vast majority understands that they are ultimately responsible for the security of their own personal data and responsible for what happens if their data is compromised. Right now, we're having this argument. Did Russia hack in uh, and do cyber uh, terrorism on us? Looks like more facts came out yesterday. Yes, they did. We're at war with the Soviet Union, of the former Soviet Union, which I believe will be a newfangled Soviet Union again. You hear that number two guy, uh, Putin, the number two guy in the Duma, said, if, you, if America doesn't vote for Trump, there will be nuclear war. They want Hiroshima's and Nagasaki's everywhere. Everywhere. They are now threatening the United States and saying, if you don't vote for Donald Trump, you are voting for nuclear war. Because there's no way to heal this. Anyway, cybersecurity. They're already engaged in this. You need protection. Nobody can protect all identity theft, monitor all transactions at all businesses. But right now, you get a special 15% discount. Call or visit lifelock.com. Use the promo code BEC15. That's BEC15. Take advantage of the 15% discount. Offer ends October 30th. Call 800-440-4936, 800-440-4936, lifelock.com, promo code BEC15, 800-440-4936. The Glenn Beck Program. Experts at Web.com want to build your business a successful website for free, just like we did for these current Web.com customers. We've used and and looked at other website designers, but there's nobody better than Web.com. Web.com can build your website in as little as seven days free. Plus, we'll promote it on all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, and Bing. If after 30 days you're happy, we'll continue to provide promotion, hosting, support, and maintenance, all for one low monthly fee. If not, cancel and pay nothing. If you're in business today and you don't have a web presence, you won't be taken seriously. Call right now and you'll also get a free .com or .net domain name for your new website powered by VeriSign, the world's leading domain name provider. Call 800-490-1099 or go to web.com slash radio. That's 800-490-1099. 
No upfront charge for site build, after which ongoing fees apply. Rights to site are relinquished when canceled. Domain included during active service, after which fees apply. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. So, the idea of privilege and equality, that's what the French Revolution was all about. What was the American Revolution about, Pat? Um, I mean, if you had to boil it down. Tea. Freedom. Tea. Freedom. Freedom. I'd say liberty. Yeah. Um, self-determination, you know, with, you know, obviously religious freedom was paramount. Mm-hmm. Taxation without representation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, words matter. Words really matter. And the subtlety of words really matter. And it's interesting. I'm taking a course now online about the French Revolution. And... Um, it's interesting to me how parallel things ran, but just a few changes in um, of history and a few changes of language, and the whole thing spirals out of control. Because if you look at these, and I would describe the American Revolution without, without the typical buzzwords, I would say that the Americans were tired of being squashed by a king, tired of being told what they had to do, how much tax they had to pay, and, and having to have special licenses to do things, have somebody have absolute control over them, while they sat in their powdered wigs and the other people were out working. They just wanted to be left alone. Well, I could describe the French Revolution exactly the same way. But let me tell you the beginning story of the French Revolution a different way. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. I've told you now for a while that um, um, I'm more concerned about the day after the election, no matter who wins, than uh, anything on the buildup of the election, um, because we have to come together. And we don't want to come together right now. Uh, nobody, wants, nobody wants to come together. But we're going to have to come together after this election. And, um, and let me show you why. Let me take you back to the French Revolution. The French Revolution, even Thomas Paine and Thomas Jefferson, were fooled. They said, this is a fight for liberty, just like our fight for liberty. This is a fight for freedom and equality, just like ours. And let me show you how similar the situation was, not to America then, but to America today. As I said earlier, the word privilege 
actually means private laws. The reason why we didn't like um, guilds here and uh, the Masons and everything else had a lot to do with, A, religion, but two, had a lot to do with the guilds of the old world. You had to be, to be a bricklayer, you had to be a Mason. It was like a union. And that's what happens in like places like New York. You have to be a union member or you cannot change the light bulb. In radio in New York, when I went to New York in 1980s, WNBC, because they made a deal with the musicians union back in the 50s when they got rid of live music on the radio and started playing records, the union said, you're going to put out, you're going to put out of work too many musicians. And so they made a deal and said, we'll hire the musicians union to go back and get the record and put it on the turntable. Then we'll hire a, a, uh, a technical union to be able to put the needle on the record and push start. Then a disc jockey, he'll be in his own union. He'll, he'll point to the, the tech producer to push that button. So it took three people to do what I always did by myself in New York. And they did it because everyone was in a guild or a union. America hated guilds. We got away from that. Every man could chart his own course. And that's because in the old world, and especially in England, there were a couple of things. There were the lords and the ladies. And they, they ruled with absolute power. The king and the lords and the ladies. The lords had so much power now, this is, you know, hundreds of years before the French Revolution, but it left a lasting, indelible mark on the people. The lords had such a power that on the day of your wedding, if the lord chose to, he got your bride on the wedding night. So she lost her virginity to the lord. He would take her at, from the altar to the castle, have sex with her, kick her out, and then you can have her. And he did this because, A, you know, he's a guy, why not? I can grab him by the, and do whatever I want with him. And they're not going to say anything about it. And he did it also to show power over them. Your life is mine. Now that law changed, but it still was part of the psyche of the average person of France. So you had the lords and the ladies, they were 1%. Then you had the clerics, 1%. And everything had to go through those two. You had to pay a tax to those two. I think that ended with the Magna Carta, right? Uh, in England. Mm-hmm. I don't think it happened in France. No, I, yeah. yeah. And then in, in France, then you also had the guilds start up. And if you wanted to be a brick bricklayer, you had to go through this guild. And they were usually started by one of the aristocrats. So that way they got a percentage of your labor. So you were paying taxes to the lords and the ladies. You were then paying 10% to the church. And then you were paying a percentage to your guild. But if you, if you belonged in a guild, it was the only way you can get off of the farm. It was the only way you could advance and do a better job than just farming and feeding chickens. So the person was just trapped. You had to pay your way out of everything. France loved the fact, and they still do, they think they're the center of the universe, and they're the center of all thought, and the center of all art, and the center of all whatever. It was like the fashion world 
in everything. You know, now, if, oh, well, if you want the latest styles, you've got to see what they're doing in France, whatever. <laughs> but they prided themselves on that, on everything. And France was, if not the richest country in the world, one of the richest countries in the world. And it was generally new money because the ships and commerce were coming in from the new world into France. And you could buy and sell everything there. Capitalism was starting to take a root in, uh, in England, which started, or in France, which started to change everything. Because now people were working on the seas, people were working in trade, people were buying and selling, and everything started to become up for grabs with money. So capitalism started to disrupt this little fiefdom that all the lords and the ladies had. And what, if you had enough money, you could buy your way in to privilege. That's what the guilds did. Privilege meant private laws. Those are the laws for the peasants. They don't apply to me. You as a peasant couldn't go take somebody on their wedding night and take them to your house and have sex with them and then kick them out and say, yeah, go to your husband now. You'd be arrested. But because you lived a life of privilege, of private laws, you could do that. So the people said, we want fairness and we want equality. The top, ni- uh, the, the top 2% are controlling the 98%. And that's not right. Does any of this sound familiar? What the people wanted was an end to privilege. See if this sounds familiar. They don't want people to be poor. They're not trying to... The average person does not have a problem with a rich person, with a person in power. They have a problem that the people in power, if you took six pictures on a submarine and sent them to your children, you will go to prison for a year. You destroy 33,000 documents on a private server that you shouldn't have, and they're all top secret, nothing happens to you. That's privilege, a life of private laws. Laws for this class are different than laws of that class. Nobody has a problem with, with Clinton and what she believes or what she does. It's how she enacts them. It's the thing she gets away with that is the real problem with the Clintons. They get away, I hate to say this because so many people think this is literal, they get away with murder. In fact, how much, what's the number now, Pat? 104. 104. 104 murders. They just get away with murder. No, they don't. No, you... No, I've read that on the internet. So yeah, it's it's not on the internet. Okay. Still denied. Still, if you just do a little research right. for a change. Now, what's the other problem that we have with the political class? The other problem we have with the political class is you don't have the same choice. Do you think that... Um, Evan uh, McMullen feels that he has a, 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 the same chance of winning as a Republican? No. Do you think Gary Johnson thinks he has the same chance? Jill Stein, does she have the same chance? Bernie Sanders, who was a Democrat, does he have the same chance? No, why? Because she was privileged with the superdelegates. Now, he didn't win without the superdelegates, but still, the privilege, the, the private laws 
for the Uber insider gets the advantage. And so all we're saying, all Bernie Sanders people are saying is make it fair. Make it fair. No special access for anybody. Make the laws apply to everyone. Give me a chance. Why does, why does Donald Trump or, or George Soros or anybody, Hillary Clinton, anybody in that class, why do they pay less in taxes than I do? Well, it's quite simple. Because their income isn't important to them anymore. They make income through their investments and their trust funds, which are all protected. You can't do that. And so when they argue about the rich getting richer, they don't argue about their class. Nobody's talking about the trust funds. What they're talking about is damaging those people who are not in the trust fund area, the $250,000 people. Those aren't the rich people. The billions of dollars people are the ones who are getting rich. They're gaming the system. And Donald Trump has said, those are the laws. And he's right. Those are the laws. He's not breaking any laws. He is doing the law as it is stated. But people are saying, let's make the laws fair for everybody. But you can't. Why? Because what happened at the French Revolution that didn't happen in America, what happened in America was we didn't want vengeance. We didn't want a king. We wanted everyone to be equal and us to be a nation of laws and not of men. And there were times, uh, the Temple of Honor story with George Washington, where the, where the troops were going to go kill everybody in Congress. They had just defeated one tyrant. Let's go defeat the tyrants in Congress who didn't pay us and wronged us. And George Washington said, no, we didn't th- overthrow one dictator to have to replace him with another. That's not who we are. We don't hate anybody. We love the law. It's why when the Mormons were thrown out of the country and chased out of the country, they didn't hate America. They were literally chased out of the country. Utah was not America. They were chased out of the country Their men were killed. They were slaughtered. They buried their children. It was the first extermination order of a religion, the only one in American history. You had the right to kill them. And it wasn't really about religion. It was about slavery and Missouri and Kansas. That's what that was really about. They were chased out. And what was the first thing they did? When they arrived in the valley, Brigham Young said, we're having a parade Now imagine being chased out of your home, being killed by Americans, your husband, you lost your child on the way because Americans tried to kill you because of what you believed in. And Brigham Young said, let's have a parade and celebrate. And what did they celebrate? America. From outside of America, the men, and I can't remember which carried which, but the men carried the Declaration of Independence and the women carried the Constitution. And the point of the parade was, It is the principles that will always hold things together. The people may go bad, but we don't hate the people. We understand that they lost sight of these sacred principles. That's the American way. 
The French way was to turn equality and to turn fairness into vengeance and anger. And I contend that's what's happening to us. Now on both sides. People of faith want to be treated fairly. People in the inner cities want to be treated fairly. And we each have somebody who wants power whispering or shouting in our ear, get them. They don't understand you. They'll never understand you. They're against you. Forget about them. Remember the principles and the principles of the Bill of Rights. If we could get agreement on seven out of ten, we're an American family again. And I don't know how we can't get there because those are basic fundamental rights that every American should be able to understand. And now this. We've all used Blinds.com. Jeffy doesn't have any windows in his cell. cell. Yeah, okay. I mean, it's a cell, but there's no glass there. And And in his trailer, they were all boarded up. Right? Yeah. It's a nice trailer, though. (laughs) It's nice. Yeah. Thank you. And it's, I'm not going to call it a mobile home because it's not. No, it's not. But it is a nice. Mm-hmm. Supposed to be. Well, the wheels right. fell off a long time ago, so it's yeah. not that mobile anymore. Yeah, right. So. But the rusty not really. axle <laughs> on the cement blocks is beautiful. It's anyway. Also, not really a home. Right. It's not a mobile, and it's not a home. Right. <laughs> but other than that. It's a rusty box sitting out in a field. But That's it's, why I started with cell. Beautiful. <laughs> Okay, anyway, Tanya and I have used Blinds.com. We used a design consultant who was a huge help. With Blinds.com, 100% satisfaction is guaranteed. Even if you mismeasure, you pick the wrong color, they'll remake your blinds for free. Get them made to order, custom blinds, without paying any custom prices at Blinds.com. Plus, you'll receive a site-wide 20% discount now through October 31st when you use the promo code BECK. Go to Blinds.com, use the promo code BECK, Get 20% discount now through October 31st. That's blinds.com, promo code BECK, blinds.com. See him for details. You're listening to the Glenn Beck Program. Beck program. Hello, America. We have uh, Evan McMullen on with us mm-hmm. uh, coming up in a little while. What is the latest on him in, in Utah? He's close, uh, man. He yeah. might win. He is close. The, uh, the latest poll was 26 for Trump, 26 for Clinton, 22 for McMullen, and for wow. Johnson. Um, so that. he's right there. Wow. And, and someone said this in Politico, and I, I think I agree with it this morning. He may very well be the favorite there. And the reason why I say that is only 52% of voters are aware of his candidacy. Yeah. And he's, he's only four points down. As that expands, and it will now with That's this poll, though, right? I mean, he oh, yeah. might very well be the leader, assuming that poll is not just some crazy outlier. I mean, there's all, you have to allow there's a chance. There's only one poll. Right. But it, it may very well be true that he is the favorite in Utah right now. Yeah, it might. It's kind of incredible. Is, is, has Gary Johnson... Is he the favorite in uh, 
uh, New Mexico? New Mexico? No, he's still behind in New Mexico. That's amazing. Yeah. This guy comes out of nowhere yeah. and is four points behind a tie, Clinton and Trump. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Your vote really does matter uh, this election. No matter who you vote for, you must vote. And your vote is personal. There are... uh, There are a lot of ways you could vote. Uh, And we could continue to play the same game over and over and over again and be talked into what we all said three years ago... Uh, And really, four after the last presidential election, we took phone call after phone call after phone call. Everybody said, I'm never going to do it again. I'm never going to be talked into it again. I'm going to stand firm. Are you standing firm? If you're looking for a candidate, there are several to choose from, not just the two. Evan McMullen is here. There's a new poll out that shows that he may be the favorite in the state of Utah. I've never seen anything like this. In the polls in Utah, it's tied. The Republican is tied with Hillary Clinton, 26-26. Evan McMullen is now at 22. However, he only has a 50% uh, uh, known factor. What do you call that? 52% of people in Utah are aware he has a candidacy. Yeah, only 52%. He's trying to get the word out that, hey, I'm an alternative. He's been on the show once before. He's called and asked if we would put him on. First question, why should we vote for you? A third party guy. What are your principles? We start there right now. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Evan McMullen, welcome to the program, sir. Great to be with you, Glenn. Great to be with you. So, Evan, tell us why we should vote uh, for you. What are your principles that you think are not being represented? Well, Glenn, that's the most important question of this election. It is about principles. Uh, You know, we've just put out a document called Principles for New American Leadership. And I would add another part to that title, New American Leadership and Civic Engagement. I think that's what we need in this country. We, We do need a new generation of leadership, a new conservative movement, but we need also a new era of civic engagement. And so as far as principles are concerned, in this document, there are 13 principles, but they start off with some very basic things that we're losing sight of things that the two major party candidates uh, don't honor. I'm talking about the first, for example, our, our, we say our basic rights are God-given. That is so incredible. Our rights don't come from the government. They are inalienable, and they come from our maker. Number two, we honor our Constitution, not 
what we think it should be. There are different, different opinions, but how it's written. Number three, government power must be separated and balanced. We must have checks and balances, and they must be honored in our system to protect against the government's abuse of that power. Number four, our leaders must be honest and wise. Because the reality is, even though we are blessed with an inspired Constitution, Glenn, if we don't have honest and wise leaders who respect that Constitution, our nation will suffer, and it has. And then the last one I'll just mention to start off with, number five, we share responsibility for service and civic duty. We need to serve our fellow man and and woman. We need to be involved in, in civic engagement. We need to be aware of the issues and well-informed, and we need, we need not to be passive in the selection of our leaders. I believe we must seek out leaders who are honest and wise and promote them into office, not merely wait for the parties to give us whoever they want to give us. We must find them, we must recruit them, and we must promote them forward to, to, to our leadership, to our service. What do you say to people who say Hillary Clinton is, I mean, I've heard people say she's the devil himself, and some people actually mean it, um, but some other, others, like me, uh, believe she is so wildly corrupt in all aspects of her life um, that she has to be stopped. Some people say, I don't like Donald Trump. But I will vote for him. And, and Evan, no matter how much I like you, I'm sorry, you don't have a chance. Why should I vote for you? Well, I'll tell you this, Glenn. I, my perspective on both of these two candidates, and you know, everybody's heard it all before, but they're both deeply corrupt. And I got news for everyone. This is my view. Donald Trump is a big government liberal, just like Hillary Clinton, maybe even worse. He does not respect our system of checks and balances. He doesn't respect the courts or their power. He doesn't respect, I believe, uh, uh, the Article One of the Constitution. He doesn't even understand the Constitution. He doesn't, you know, he proposes policies that are in violation of our Constitution. It seems like every week or couple of weeks it's something new. They are both big government liberals. That is the reality. This is the situation in which we find ourselves. How do we get here? Because we've accepted the argument that we need to vote for the lesser or decide the lesser of two evils between the two major party candidates for a long time. That decision, the lesser of two evils decision, that framework causes us to lower our standards for our leaders. And as a result of that, we get weaker leaders. We get corrupt leaders like both of them. We get leaders like many of ours who have disappointed us this year who won't stand up for principle, who put their own reelection first. And that is happening right now. And that's why we get That's why I think, Glenn, we have a leadership crisis in this country. So what I'm saying and what my running mate, Minnie Finn, is what she's saying as well, is vote for the people who you actually want to see in office. If you do not do that, if we do not do that, Glenn, we will never get the leaders we need in this country. We must use our voices, which are our votes, to support leaders who we actually want to see in office. And if they don't win this time, well, then they can win next time. But we must start building a movement, a new conservative movement that will put leaders into the Oval Office and into Congress and elsewhere who actually uh, uh, embrace the principles of our country. There are people that say that um, 
there may not be a next time. The country is at uh, the breaking point, and uh, you don't know what's going to happen. And and the way things are going, and how fastly and how fast we have decayed over the last eight years with rights, that our churches will be under siege, our rights will be taken, possibly our guns would be taken, our banking system could collapse. Just in the next four to eight years, this next president may be the last chance. We can't take that risk. Well, Glenn, I would, again, I say that both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump are cut from the same cloth. These are both big, you know, they're, they're both tax and spend liberals. These are people who are going to grow the size of the federal government. Donald Trump has made a, pr- a promise about the Supreme Court, but he's violated that promise even in the campaign, saying that his sister would make a good justice, saying that, you know, Peter Thiel would make a good justice. I and mean, this is not a man who we can trust. This just simply isn't a man that we can trust. We are in a terrible spot right now. Yes, we don't have time to waste, but we have allowed ourselves, I'll say this, we have allowed ourselves to be offered two horrendous candidates from the two major parties. And so this is what I'm saying, Glenn. I'm calling on all Americans now to have a conversation, a conversation with each other, a conversation around the dinner table, in the backyard, over the fence in the backyard with the neighbor, with your colleagues, about the fundamental principles that have made this country the most prosperous and powerful on earth. We've got to go back as American citizens to the essentials. We've got to ourselves recommit ourselves to to these principles and pursue better leaders. We're not, you know, from the two major parties, we're not going to get them this year. But I believe we can get more of them in the future. But we've got to start with basics. We're in a tough spot this year. There are no great, no great solutions. That's just the reality. That's the, that's the difficult place we've been in. We have to start rebuilding something new, and it starts with a conversation with America, one that I and Mindy Finn are trying to have with America and one that I'm asking Americans to have with themselves using this document, using these principles. Uh, Evan, uh, uh, Stu, I, I have a, one of the things that we've seen in this debate is, is the, the world of foreign policy has been you know, really a shambles, everything from trade uh, to, uh, you know, we have, I mean, we watched the debate the other night, Hillary Clinton, we know what a disaster she was with Russia. I mean, you know, the reset button, I mean, that was, you know, a total disaster. And then her opponent in his own defense, uh, says that he doesn't know anything about the inner workings of Russia. So these are our two options. And then not to mention Gary Johnson, who, you know, has his issues with where is Aleppo or what is Aleppo and all of this. How does your experience differ from these three? Well, I I spent 11 years serving in the Central Intelligence Agency. I was an undercover operative. Uh, Most of that time came after 9-11. I managed some of our country's most sensitive counterterrorism operations against al-Qaeda leadership uh, and and other sensitive uh, traditional intelligence operations against countries that are adversaries to liberty. If you would have have handled the documents that you had, which I assume are less sensitive than what the uh, uh, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton had. Would you be in prison if you handled them the way she did? Uh, yes. Well, I handled some very, very sensitive stuff that she may not even have had. But but even if I had handled uh, lesser uh, uh, classifica- classified documents, yes, I, I would have been fired, first of all. My security clearance would have been revoked, and I likely would have gone to jail. And that's the reality. But that's what we see. And, Glenn, you pointed that out, just the corruption. 
I mean, we, we live in a country where most Americans feel that we're on the wrong, a strong majority of Americans feel we're on the wrong track. People don't feel like they're being heard by the government anymore, largely because so much power is centralized in Washington, D.C. But we, this is exactly the wrong moment to elect a deeply corrupt leader. And that's what we're poised to do. And, and it is truly unfortunate. And we cannot allow ourselves to be in this so- situation again. How would you deal with Russia? Yesterday, the uh, number two guy in the Duma came out and said that if America votes for Hillary Clinton and does not elect Donald Trump, that uh, there will that nuclear war is imminent. He said there will be Hiroshima's and Nagasaki's everywhere. <laughs> well, look. First of all, the first thing we need to do is we need to reassert our strength in the world. What we have done under President Obama is withdrawn our strength and communicated weakness to the, to the whole world. And so all of the destructive actors, whether it's Vladimir Putin or Bashar al-Assad or, or the Chinese, uh, Chinese government uh, appropriate, uh, annexing parts of the South China Sea or, or North Korea, Kim Jong, uh, the Kim, Kim regime. And you know, what we've got here is a reaction by all these bad actors to a leadership, a power void, a power vacuum that's been left by President Obama. The first thing we need to do, we need a president who will stand up and be strong. Uh, and that is that that solves a lot of problems, candidly. It used to be the countries knew they couldn't mess with us. And as a result of that, they didn't most of the time. That is not the case anymore because of our presidency, uh, because of this administration. But I'll tell you something. We would get more of the same with Hillary Clinton in that regard. But with, with Donald Trump, we would get somebody who has actually aligned himself with these bad actors. I mean, it is unconscionable to me, that we, incredible, that, that we find ourselves in this situation. And, it, and, I, and I struggle and am so disappointed with Republicans. You know, Republicans, the Republican Party was the National Security Party. How can they not stand up to Donald Trump's allegiance and infatuation with Vladimir Putin? How is that possible? But this is where we find ourselves, and this, guys, is why I'm saying that we, are, we find ourselves in a leadership crisis in this country, and we must return to these principles. Our principles are our strength, and we must have this conversation with each other. It's not the, it's not the, you know, the mainstream media. We can't wait for our leaders. They've let us down. We must turn to each other and rededicate ourselves to these principles and find our own leaders and promote them into office. Evan McMullen um, running as a, a third-party candidate, um, doing well in the polls in Utah, may actually win uh, in Utah, which is something that Gary Johnson hasn't even been able to pull off in his own state. Um, he is within four points in Utah and uh, doing well in the Mountain West and is a write-in candidate, is on the ballot in some states, writing candidate on others. How many states can people vote for you and actually have it count? Well, it's 34 states, but by the time we get to Election Day, it'll be 43, potentially up to 45. Most Americans will have the opportunity to vote for me and to have their vote counted. That's the reality. We're very excited about that. We already have access to more than 300 electoral college votes. Uh, so, and we've done that in just a matter of weeks. I mean, this is a, for us. It's a three-month presidential campaign. I've got a phenomenal team. We've moved very, very swiftly, and we are doing it on the backs of our tremendous supporters. They're very strong, very motivated, and they have helped us get ballot access across the country. It's just right. been truly incredible to watch.
Evan, um, we'll be back as I want to talk to you more about the principles you, lay, you laid out on your website, 14 principles. Uh, they all uh, sound pretty constitutional. So I want to talk to you about the First and Second Amendment when we come back. And Pat wants to get a question in as well. But first, you have a right to defend yourself and your family. Are you carrying an AR when you're, when you're in trouble? Most likely not. Nobody's going to come and rob you if you're carrying an AR. Pretty good bet. <laughs> you need a gun that is sitting by your nightstand. You need a gun that is in your purse. You need a gun that is in the back of your belt. When you want to carry, you want a shotgun in your pocket, a hand cannon from Bond Arms. Every gun from Bond Arms can be converted to suit your needs. 25 different barrels fit every Bond Arms pistol, and you can use 14 different calibers. I have some guns from Bond Arms that I use at the range. Uh, We have them here on the uh, set as well. You want to stop a threat? This one will stop a threat dead in its tracks. The bad guys will think twice when they see both barrels of your hand cannon from Bond Arms. Check them out today. Do your own homework. But I'm telling you, the Second Amendment is upside down. Everybody runs to the ARs. Very few people are running to the handgun. And the handgun is what you need when there's times of trouble. Do your own homework. Visit bondbeck.com. That's bondbeck.com. Do it now. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Evan McMullen is uh, running as a candidate for president um, and uh, is beginning to pick up some steam in Utah. He's about to pass both Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, uh, and only 52% of the people know who he is in Utah. Um, And that is starting to happen in the Mountain uh, West now, where he just started about, I don't know, six weeks ago. Um, because he was fed up. Evan, I want to talk to you a little bit about uh, the economy because HSS, uh, HSBC has just come out with a, um, a, a red alert warning for the stock market uh, and a stock market crash, they say, is now pretty much imminent. Um, we'll, we'll get into that in a second. Let me talk to you about two things. People believe that the Supreme Court is the number one issue now because they feel... Religion is going to come under attack, and the Second Amendment is going to come under attack. Where do you stand on those two things? Well, first of all, I do believe that religious liberty in this country is under attack, and we need to do everything we can to protect it. The Second Amendment is obviously as well. I agree with that. Unfortunately, I just don't believe Donald Trump uh, would, uh, would, would pursue originalist just justices on the court. I just do not believe it. We know Hillary Clinton won't either, but yeah, I just think, look, America, we are, we are in a tough position. We are in a tough position because the two major party candidates are not people who respect religious liberty. They're not people who respect the second amendment and, and it's going to be tough. That's the reality. That's the reality. And that's why I keep saying that you know, we've got to go back to our principles and we've got to really develop something new, a new movement in this country. You know, it's uh, it's interesting. I think back about John Adams and the way he described the revolution of his time. 
by saying the real revolution began around the kitchen table in what mothers were teaching their children in their readers. I mean, that's, that's the kind of, that's what we need to do. If we want to protect religious liberty, if we want to protect the Second Amendment, we have got to strengthen the conservative movement so that it can do that. And we need a political vehicle in the form of a party who will fight for those things. And we do not have that now, Glenn. We don't have that. We have a Republican Party and a nominee who don't support these values and who will not protect them. And, and so we, we've got to start from scratch in, in, in many ways, I believe. That's, I'm, so I'm thinking about it in the long game because I've written Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump off. They're both cut from the same cloth. So let's, let's rebuild our conservative movement through discussing these core principles, recommitting ourselves to these core principles. We're angry. We're all angry. I get that. But we need to channel that to something constructive and positive for our country. And this is what Evan, I believe it is. Evan McMullen uh, running for president. I want to get to what is happening with the economy and what uh, some really important stock market analysis are saying is coming in an imminent fashion next. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. back. This is the Glenn Beck Program. We are talking to um, Evan McMullen, candidate for president. Uh, he is a candidate, will be a candidate in 50 or 47 states by the time uh, this is over. Uh, let me give you a couple things, uh, Evan, to talk about because, you know, people don't really know who you are. And we are facing some really bad um, scenarios uh, coming our way. One, uh, Russia has said uh, in several different ways in the last few weeks that they are rattling the saber saying that we're on the edge of nuclear war. I don't know if I don't know how much of that is true, but I do know that Putin and um, do you know who uh, Dugin is? Um, What's his first name? Uh, Alexander Dugin. Are you familiar with him? I'm not. Okay. Um, uh, Alexander Dugan is one of the advisors of uh, Putin, a really dangerous guy. He has his fingers in the alt-right here in America and all throughout throughout Europe. Um, So we have that brewing. We have Islamic Jihad brewing. Uh, We have an open border situation where we don't know who's in this country. And then today we have this. Uh, HSBC, the um, head of the technical uh, analyst department for HSBC, has said we are now on red alert for an imminent sell-off in stocks given the price over the past few weeks. He says the pattern shows that we are headed for something at least as bad as 1987. What experience do you have? We know you have now CIA experience, global uh, foreign relations experience. 
But what experience do you have on the economy and and finance? Well, uh, you know, I, I attended the Wharton School and earned an MBA there, and then went on to work in finance uh, at Goldman Sachs, uh, a, a bank that oh. you know was very <laughs> very controversial. But I'll tell you what I'll tell you what I did and what I learned, which I think are lessons that all presidents should know, and that is what it takes for companies to thrive in this in this global marketplace. Uh, in a way that they can create jobs here in the United States, good-paying jobs. And I, I worked with leaders in industrial companies, companies that make airplanes and airplane parts here in the United States. Uh, I worked with technology companies. I was in California, San Francisco. Uh, I worked with companies in consumer packaged products, in healthcare. But I learned so much about so many different industries during my time there. And, and they all have different needs, and they all face different challenges. Uh, but presidents should know these things. Presidents should know uh, that, that, that we need government, for example, to get out of the way in order for our, our economy to thrive. You know, the number one thing I heard from business leaders when I was working with them in that role was that they had a lot of capital on the sidelines, they would say, that they couldn't or didn't feel comfortable investing in new jobs and new equipment because they were worried about regulatory uncertainty or a regulatory burden, even if there was, was an uncertainty, just the burden of regulations. So that's a huge problem we have. I mean, there's so many others, that corporate tax rate and, and others. But, you know, we've got to have a president who will signal to the business community that this company, this country, is going to be open for business, that companies are going to be able to thrive. And part of it also, Glenn, I just have to say this, is that we've lost sight of, of, a true, of promoting a truly open market. We've got way too much crony capitalism. I saw it with my own eyes when I was the chief policy director for the House Republicans. We have, you know, we have a government that's sort of geared towards uh, helping big corporations, but, 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 that's, you know, but advances policies that stifle the small and, and medium-sized company that can't deal with these regulations. And so what, why is that such a bad thing? It's a bad thing because it harms competition, and, and because of that, it harms innovation. And innovation is the lifeblood, one of the lifebloods of our country. We need a more open economy. We need to get rid of crony capitalism. It's a huge problem. But we will not thrive unless we make some of these changes, or all of them. We're speaking to Evan McMullen, independent candidate for president. Evan, this is Pat. I, you know, in addition to going to Wharton, whatever, you, but you also <laughs> attended BYU, <laughs> right, and and uh, I saw you last week or uh, a week and a half ago at uh, at the at the game, and and you know we have forty minutes with the presidential right. candidate. And and you're being going a Cougar fan is <laughs> right one of his oh, most impressive God. attributes. Uh, but you have also, a real question. <laughs> but you also have been you've worked really closely, like you just said, you were the chief policy advisor for the for the House, and and so what are your What's your position on taxes? Where, you know, business and personal taxes? Oh, on business, I think we need to lower the corporate tax rate. Uh, I've said 20%. Um, the, the reason that's important is that we need our businesses to be able to reinvest in, in technology and in equipment and jobs. That'll make our workers uh, more productive, uh, mm-hmm. which will mean their salaries will go up, which will mean. Uh, other companies will want to to be here uh, because. So you're those, you're uh, saying you're going to yeah. force companies to come back to the United States? Of America. <laughs> yeah. What do you think I'm of that? To... What do you think of that idea, Evan? What do you think of that idea? Forcing, forcing companies, government oh, well, forcing well, companies to come back. 
Well, well, this, let me do, so let's take a look at Donald Trump's idea, right? So he says, okay, company X moves to Mexico and starts producing its widgets there. So he's right. going to put a tariff on widgets that come from that country into the United States. Guess what's going to happen? That country or that company is just going to go to another country where those tariffs don't exist and produce the widgets there. I mean, that's, it's just so ridiculous. What we want to do is have an open economy that, that attracts mm-hmm. people, companies willingly to come here. That's how we've thrived in the past. That's what we need in the future. Uh, Evan, it's Stu again. I had an interesting thought or realization the other day, I think, which was we had this really big debate. We all fought about it in 2009 over this Barack Obama's $787 billion stimulus plan. We all thought it was a terrible idea. And $787 billion, you can remember it because we said it so many times. It was such a big number. We have Hillary Clinton now uh, proposing a new $275 billion stimulus, which no one's talked about at all. And probably because Donald Trump has promised to more than double it, over $550 billion. He also proposed this new um, uh, child care and um, uh, family leave s- situation paid for maternity leave and things like that by the government. That the, the new estimate that just came out from a right-leaning think tank was $680 billion in cost. We fought so hard against the $787 billion stimulus, but no one's thinking about these sorts of things anymore. It, what is your approach on government spending to stimulate the economy and for new entitlement programs. Oh my goodness! Well, well, listen on on stimulating the economy. I just have so much faith in the ingenuity of of, of the American, in in the just the, the the grit that Americans have to create and to build, and that's the strength of our economy. It doesn't come from the government, and the more we think it does, and the more we use entitlements and other programs to try to economic growth uh, through the government, the less free our economy is, the less open it is, the mm-hmm. less competition we have, the less innovation we have. So look, it's just a fundamental thing. We, we, in order to, to, to thrive, we've got to, um, we've got to create an environment where people will take risks, where people will innovate. And we can't do that if we're growing the size of government, therefore taxing people more, therefore depriving people of their economic liberty, which is just liberty. Uh, and all of these things are connected. So new entitlement programs, no thank you. We need to reform the ones that we have. We do have some important programs that form an important safety net, but they're on autopilot. Congress doesn't even review this spending uh, on an annual basis, if ever, hardly ever they do. And if, if right now it's over two the entitlement programs and our interest on debt that we pay every year is over two thirds of the budget. If we do nothing, if we stay on our current path, it'll be 78 percent of the budget in 10 years. And so we've got to make reforms and we can do that so that we keep our obligations to people who are retired now and who are retiring soon. But for people like me, who have got decades more of work. Let's you know, we're going to live longer. Let's increase the retirement age gradually. Let's phase it in. And I think we need to do means testing, too. If I'm super wealthy, which I'm not, but if I were, I wouldn't need to collect, uh, I wouldn't need to collect Social Security. Let's make sure that we have that safety net for people who really need it. Let's just be smarter with our entitlements so that we don't burden the American people with an overwhelming, of, overwhelming amount of, of debt and, uh, and taxes. Okay, so, um, Evan, are you available tomorrow at about this time? Do you know? I'll, can you make I'll yourself have to check available? With my team, but I, I would See if you can make yourself available. 
Here's yep. here's what I would like because here's what I've heard from you. I've heard a lot of great things, but I've heard your resume, and I can think like the person at home, um, and they what they've heard is wow, okay, he's got some great background stuff. But on the flip side, you are CIA, former CIA, which can mean I'm for foreign involvement everywhere, entanglements, war, yada, 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 the uh, continuation of what we've already done. Two, mm-hmm. I used to work at Goldman Sachs, which in, it means to some people I'm for the bank bailouts and cronyism and Wall Street and the Fed. I'm not. And, uh, I know, I know. I'm just, I, it, but this is what I think your resume screams. And then the last one is, I also was with the House. Well, the House was for stimulus and the bailouts, and they didn't repeal Obamacare. A lot of people in the GOP despise the American, uh, you know, the the average American. And so what I would like to do, because I don't think it's fair to ask you, uh, to throw that on you and then say, can you give me a two-minute answer? (laughs) Would you come back tomorrow and tell me what sets you apart in foreign policy from the, the, the entanglements that have caused this mess, yes. the, the Goldman Sachs that are for the cronyism and the, bail, the, the bank bailouts mm-hmm. and the Federal Reserve just being mm-hmm. running unchecked, and mm-hmm. the House Republicans, uh, what, what sets you apart from those three things that we hear in your resume? Would you do that? Well, I- I would love to come back. So let, I, I just, because, you know, Glenn, I don't control my schedule anymore. When you I know that, I know that. I know that. But, but I, I will check with my team. I would love to come back. Chances are we'll do it because this is an important you know, discussion to have. But very briefly, I'll just say, on foreign policy, I have said that I think the Iraq war was a mistake. I believe we do need to lead in the world, but I believe we can do it with less blood and treasure. And we can talk about that. I'm happy to talk about that. With regard to my time at Goldman Sachs, Look, I, you know, I'm not uh, here to represent Goldman Sachs, but I've, I struggled. I, we, I was raised in a lower middle class family. You know, we couldn't turn the heat on in the winter. We worked very, very hard. Parents worked three jobs. I, like, I know what it's like out there, you know, and I'm not wealthy. I've worked hard for everything I have, and I had an opportunity to work at Goldman Sachs, and I learned a ton. I'm not here to defend Goldman Sachs in any way or banker and the bank sure. bailout, which I opposed and all of that. But I will say that uh, I learned things there that every president should know, period. As far as my time in the House, look, I was asked to come back and serve. I answered that uh, with a yes, and I did come back and I served. I fought unauthorized spending. I fought mandatory spending. I fought to reform the VA's health care system. You know, you, you know, you got to engage, and, you know, and, and that's what I've done, and I've served for most of my, my life this country. Okay, so uh, tomorrow, if you can, and if not, we'll schedule it some other time. But if you can, I'd like you to focus. We'll spend the same amount of time, and I'd like you to focus on those three things. Foreign entanglements, um, the cronyism of capitalism and and Goldman Sachs kind of image, and where you differ from the House Republicans, which we have, I feel, this audience has fought those guys perhaps harder than we had to fight the Obama administration, and we'll uh, continue right. the conversation. Um, what's your website? Looking forward to it. Evan, what's yes, your website? It's, yes, it's evanmcmullen.com. And if you want to go to that principles document, which I hope you will, go to evanmcmullen.com forward slash principles. And you spell McMullen with an I-N at the end, not an E-N, evanmcmullen.com. Okay, thank you very much, Evan. I appreciate it. Uh, you should buy the, the E-N 
domain name yeah, too. You should, <laughs> you should get eggmcmuffin.com. <laughs> have them all. <laughs> yeah, you should have them all. Anyway, yes. now this. Um, when you buy a home security system from a big company, the system goes from the manufacturer to the distributor, to the dealer, to the salesman, to the installer, to you. So everybody is making money along the way. That's why it has to be really expensive. They want you to think that this is going to be an expense. They're giving you a deal on this, but they have to jack up the price to pay everybody along the way. Uh, and and, and they, they do that by wiring the house and entangling you in the strings of the contract. So it's literally wired to your house so you can't get rid of it. And the strings of the contract bind you to it. And they say, oh, but you're saving money. It's $40, $50, $60 a month. No, you're not. First of all, you don't own it. You don't control it. You can't take it with you. And you're paying that for how long? Forever. $14.99 a month is all you pay with no long-term contract. Protect your home the smart way, the new way, wirelessly, with Simply Safe, the system that you will own. SimplySafeBeck.com. Go there right now and get free shipping on your order and a free keychain remote worth 25 bucks. It's simplysafe.com. That's simplysafe.com. The fusion of entertainment and enlightenment. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. Sign up for the newsletter and get all the info you need to know at glenbeck.com. Glad you're here. Uh, I guess his running mate, what's her name? Mind- Mindy? Mindy Finn, yeah. Uh, I haven't talked to her yet. And, you know and who she is? Uh, I don't know that much about her, to be honest with you. He she's, just named her um, uh, as, as his running mate. She's, she's like 35 or 30. Yeah, she's she's yeah. young, um, uh, and uh, I'm, I'm really interested to talk to her. We're going to, uh, to do that on Pat and Sue today. Uh, uh, I think it right after the show. If you go to theblaze.com slash TV, or you can get it on Blaze Radio. We'll have it on podcast as well. be interesting to hear from her. And then this weekend, uh, when it comes to Gary Johnson, you are also uh, submitting questions to Gary. And, yeah. And his running mate, Weld, is in here Monday? Yeah, I think so. So Bill Weld will be here on uh, Monday. Yeah, I'm going to, looking for the, the questions that conservatives once answered from Gary Johnson. Why... Why is he going the way he's going? And I think like that's an important... Give him one chance here to actually answer those. Because I think a lot of people would pull the trigger for Johnson or... Or, uh, or Mullen. Mullen or any of these guys. Yeah. They just... They want the... Castle. Castle. Sure. Back in a minute. The Glenn Beck Program. There's a new story out from HSBC today. Um, big banking firm, their analytics department, has come out and said, America should be prepared. Go on high red alert. 
They believe a major stock market crash is imminent. Um, We have Harry Dent, a man who has looked at the cycles of history, the geopolitical cycle, the generational spending wave, the innovation cycle, the sunspot cycle. He's looked at them all. And he has predicted uh, the last few crashes um, and accurately called them. He's he's um, he's eminently more qualified, uh, smarter and more accurate than I am on this. But he is he has the same problem uh, that I do. He is sometimes slightly wrong in the timing of them. But what he says is coming is right. Uh, and he has a long history of that. They've gone from an orange alert to a red alert. He says, don't panic. If you know, you can actually do well on this. He has a new book called The Sale of a Lifetime. uh, And we'll talk about what's coming and what you should do to be able to survive and or even thrive. Harry Dent joins us right now. of entertainment and enlightenment. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Welcome to the program, Harry Dent, author of the new book, The Sale of a Lifetime, editor of uh, uh, Economy and Markets at harrydent.com. Welcome, Harry. How are you? Yeah, nice to be back, Glenn. In the 1980s... um, you kind of woke up to the stock market cycle uh, and you uh, began to track this in a different way than everybody else. And you called the bubble of the 90s. You called the bubble uh, of uh, the early 2000s and 2008. Um, and I've been following you for a while. And the one that is coming is gigantic. Would you agree? Yeah, it is because, you know, we had two natural bubbles. Um, with the tech bubble and internet, and then with the baby boomers peak in spending, which was in the 2007, which, we, like you said, we predicted 20 years before that happened, that we'd have a greater boom than anybody thought, but then it would peak around 2007, and of course, we've had quantitative easing ever since to try to ease the pain, and, and it still didn't work, but now we've got a third, and what I hate about it, totally artificial bubble that's all about printing free money, you know, $12 trillion of free money printed around the world. And, and, and since zero interest rates were not low enough, now we've got to go negative in more and more countries. This is insanity to, to just force people to keep uh, buying back their own stocks with companies or, or borrowing that little bit more or speculating more of traders and stuff. And that's all we're growing on. And so this is much more dangerous. And I call this the third and final bubble. And, and when we peaked in the 60s and early 70s, we had three higher highs in the market and three um, uh, bigger crashes. And, of course, the last one, 73 to 74, was the big one. And that's what I'm seeing here, that, that 2017 to 2019 approximately is going to be the time when we see a crash that's bigger and deeper than 2008 and nine, And it actually puts us into more of a depression 
than just a great recession as we saw back then. Because when you when you grow debt two two and a half times GDP for forty years, you're going to have a debt bubble, and that's going to cause financial asset bubbles and stocks and real estate and commodities and everything else. And those bubbles are going to have to unwind. They have to, or you can't go forward in life. The economy can't move forward. So we've been putting this off now for seven eight years, which means. It's like a drug addict taking more and more to keep from coming down from the high. When you finally get hit and go to detox, it's not going to be pretty. But, you know, a lot of people have um, taken this hit. Greece is probably the, the, the biggest. They've taken their hit. Um, G- Germany, um, they're still out of control, but they're still thinking that they're going to now bail in. China spends more and more money. I mean, in your book, you talk about these ghost oh. cities that are... I mean, I was I was struck by this. The Chang the Changsha Sky City Sky Dream. You write it was meant to become the world's tallest building at two thousand seven hundred and forty nine feet, two hundred and two stories, built in the shortest time. Imagine building a two hundred and two story building. The Chinese wanted to build it in ninety days. Yeah, uh, they, we built the, the, the first prefab skyscraper. <laughs> it's now a fishing hole. Yeah, exactly. the whole thing was stopped and collapsed, and now they just the big hole in the ground where the foundation was. They've just filled it with water, and the locals are using it to raise fish. But anyway, th- there's another country completely out of control. Well, um, you know, it's worse than that, Glenn. I mean, they, now the latest thing, Shenzhen, which is the most bubbly large city there, they're now selling apartments, sixty-six square feet, the size of a decent closet, for one hundred thirty-two thousand dollars, seven to ten times the income of the people in that city to get a closet to live in. I mean, if that's not a bubble, I don't know what is. So, 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 Harry, um, the the whole thing looks like it's coming down. Is there going to be any yeah. system that survives? Well, what happens at a time like this, I mean, this is when you can't listen to your stockbroker, even a good financial advisor, because every you're going to have a big reset. We've had bubbles and everything from this endless low and zero interest rates and endless stimulated economy and printing of money. And this is always going to happen when this happens throughout history. So... So everything has to reset. We even have a bond bubble. Normally, treasury bonds would be a safe place to go longer term, but they're going to have to at least correct it first from their own bubble, from from central banks pushing down their yields to zero and negative before they can grow again. And then stocks have to come down and real estate commodities have already crashed. And I've been telling people for years, when bubbles burst, it's not 20, 30, 40 percent. It is 70, 80, 90. And commodities have already collapsed 70 to 80 percent proving that when bubbles burst, they, they crash. They don't just go down slowly, and they don't just correct. And that's going to have to happen to everything else, so there's nowhere to hide. So the thing to do is you just get out. I mean, I went short yesterday. I'm, I'm with HSBC. We, we said, hey, we're looking like we're going to break a key trend line up, which we did this morning, and, and the markets could be starting to, to crash again. And, and I never know exactly when it's going to happen, and the market never makes it easy, but... It is going to be nasty, and one of the other things we've warned people, and every, almost every bubble has had this happen, especially in stocks, the first crash, even though the bubble is going to end up going down 80% on average, the first crash is going to be 40 to 45% in two to three months, and that happened in China last year, that happened in 1929, that happened in the, in the tech bubble, it happened in the Nikkei bubble in Japan, and that's what we do in this book. We look at all major bubbles in history and say, look, these are not black swans when they crash. They build predictably over a period of time. They grow exponentially, but then when they crash, they crash at least twice as fast and 
and, and half of that happens in the first two to three months. So you're an idiot if you don't get out a little bit early. If you want to wait until it's proven, you're going to be down 40% before you can react. That's not good investment strategy. So, um, Harry, I've, let's just say, you know, I'm the average person. I don't have a, uh, you know, I have a 401k or if I have a stockbroker, I, I barely even know his name. Um, and I go to the stockbroker and they're going to say, look, keep it in. You know, this is long term. You're going to lose money now, but you're not planning on pulling it out for another 20 years anyway. You leave it in. Yep. And that is why you cannot listen to these people now. 80% of the time or more, that is right. But I tell people all the time, when you see a major long-term generational spending wave peak, like in 29 or 68, and especially when you see a bubble like 1929, 1929 crash was 89% in stocks in less than three years, and it took 24 years to get back to even. If you'd have been a retiring person with a 401k plan back then, uh, you would have been dead before you got back to even. So that is not... They don't, stocks don't always come back, not when you see a major bubble burst and or when you see a long-term trend. Even in 68, that was not as much of a bubble boom, but when the Bob Hope generation stopped spending and when inflation and OPEC set in, it took 54 years to get back to even on that. Manhattan real estate, it crashed the most in the 30s. The greatest city in the world, supposedly, which people would think can't go down, took into the mid-50s, even longer than stocks to get back to even. So you have to get out of the way. And what we do in the book is we say, look, there's going to be different sectors over the next two, three, four, five years. They're going to crash and bottom. And, and, and you know, we show models for bubbles to show, okay, you can know about how much downside there is. In real estate, it's more like 50 to 60%. In stocks, it's more like 70 to 80. In commodities, 80 to 90. When you see that bubble get erased, then you can get back in long-term and listen to your financial advisor again. But right now, they will tell you the wrong thing, I can guarantee you. They'll just say, it's all right, you're diversified. Diversification didn't help in 2008 and 9, and it will help less now. And this is the final bubble crash, because there's no way the Fed can pull this stunt again. If we go into a worse downturn, they're going to lose all credibility. So you got to just got to get out of the way. And, and I'm so, just saying, look, we have four major indicators, which you mentioned a lot of them earlier, that all point down the same time into late 2019, early 2020. We just got like about a three-year period here of extreme danger. After that, you can feel better about stepping back in. But, hey, what, what's it to miss three years of stock gains when the stock market, by the way, has gone nowhere uh, in, in the last couple of years and commodities have only gone down? So, so it's bubbled up so much that we think there's less to miss. And Baron Rothschild always said, the secret to my wealth was I always sold a little early. Um, Harry, the, um, um, you say that you have cash on hand. Yeah. I read a I read a story yesterday that um, you know cash is crashing everywhere, uh, and it's crashing because the central banks can't control it anymore. Our own central bank, the Federal Reserve, uh, has a white paper out, an internal white paper that was uh, released that shows that if this next recession hits, to make any impact, they believe they have to print four trillion dollars in bailout stimulus money. Um, and they said, we're not even sure that would work. Uh, I mean, what happens to cash? Well, then, Are and, you and concerned would, about cash? You, one of the things we show in the book is I show all how the, the total financial assets, loans, 
um, you know, mortgages, stocks, bonds, everything. It's about $300 trillion, far beyond stretch any time in history. Can't even compare it. That's $300 trillion, and in a time like the 1930s when these bubbles deleverage, I'm talking about minimum $120 trillion in financial assets disappearing and not coming back for a long time. So I would say if the central banks want to offset the next downturn, they're going to have to print $100 trillion or more worldwide. I don't think they can get away with that. So, so four trillion would not be enough. They so don't what, know what they're talking about, but they're just trying to slide by and keep the bubble going until they retire from office, like Bernanke or, you know, Obama now and any other president. Everybody just wants to push this thing down the road until the next administration or, or Fed chairman comes in, because somebody's going to have to take the consequences. You don't get something for nothing. If there's nothing I've learned in life, that's the number one lesson. You don't get something for nothing, and we've had the biggest something for nothing economy for decades, but particularly since the financial crisis in 2008-9 when we've been living on printed money. You can't solve a debt crisis by creating more debt and printing more money, because that's how you got there in the first place, printing money through debt. This is crazy. Harry, do you believe that you can trust the banks to keep your money in? No, because they lend money out. And, and they've got all types. Of, I mean, Deutsche Bank is down 92% since its peak in 2007 and continuing to go down because they've got $55 trillion in derivative exposures, you know, uh, four times or whatever, six times the GDP of Germany or whatever, um, and bad loans uh, in, in Italy and bad loans in Germany, bad loans with frackers in the United States. They, they, you know, Italian and German banks and more and more banks have bad loans, and when those loans go bad, they have only have 10% capital, which Deutsche Bank now only has 3% because they've been Jeez. battered, and, and you start losing money on loans, and all of a sudden, oops, you don't have the money to give depositors back because they lend against your deposits, and they're your deposits, not theirs. They don't just raise capital and lend out money. That's what a, a normal financial institution should do. They pledge 10% of our deposits. And then like in the depression, when those loans go bad, they're like, well, you know, we said we had your deposits, but we actually don't. We lost it. We lent it out 10 to 1 to your reserves and deposits, and we never, and we didn't get it back. I only so, have so 30. You, can't. you have to have uh, your money in a brokerage account. I prefer to be with an independent um, firm that only does transactions, does not invest in investment banking or speculate in the markets right. or lend money for mortgages online or anything. Right. And, and you just have your money in your own name. They cannot lend against an account in your own name. They can lend against your um, checking okay. or savings account. Uh, Harry, Harry I've, I've got literally 10 seconds. I need a yes or no on this. Do you think this bubble is going to happen fast enough to affect the election? Um, possibly, because we just made a big break today. So okay. we could be down 10% in a matter of weeks. And yes, a, a, a down market helps the outsider okay. like Trump, and it hurts the insider like my, Clinton. We've said that for a long time. My grandfather, um, my grandfather lived through the Depression, and he always said the people who made money during the Depression were the people that had money during the Depression, that got their money out. That's the premise of Harry's book, The Sale of a Lifetime, available everywhere now, The Sale of a Lifetime. Harry, always good to have you on, and thank you so much for the warning today. Okay, Um, thanks, Glenn. uh, You bet. Our sponsor this half hour is Goldline. Need I say anything except listen to what he just said? I am calling my broker today, and my broker is going to tell me all of the same things. And I am also calling Goldline today. Um, 
I don't know. I'm bad at timing, and Harry has been as long as two years uh, out of out of sync. But he is right, um, and I would strongly urge you to call Goldline and uh, find out if gold or silver is right for you. 866-465-3546. Call them. They're waiting for your call right now. They'll get you all the facts and all the information. Um, 866-465-3546. You're smart enough to figure this out. Please be careful on who you listen to uh, and do your own homework with Goldline and with your brokers. 866-GOLDLINE, 1-866-GOLDLINE or goldline.com. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. The Glenn Beck Program. I will tell you, I, I, am too, I, I am too much of a catastrophist to have money in stock markets. I, I, I just... Me too. I, I put Boy. my money in Oof. the stock market about four, you know, four, you have money in the stock market. It's called a 401k. You just don't count it. And, and the only time you count it is like in 2008. You're assuming... Jeffy has a 401k. Yeah, you're assuming oh, he has a 401k. I pulled that out long ago, Glenn. Right. Out. Long ago. Right. He paid the 60% tax just to go buy a sandwich or something. Uh, Wait, what? So? Oh, you, uh, you know, uh, Jeffy does not have a 401k. That's like, you know, what's what the uh, fish needs a bicycle. Right, Jeffy, I know. You know, Jeffy does so not So remember what we all felt like when we looked at our 401k? Remember everybody... Everybody looked at their 401k in 2008 and went. Yeah, but if you didn't got panic, if you didn't, then if you just wrote it out, it's back, and it's probably better than it was at the time. Yes. Now that may not be the case. But Harry is saying what Harry is saying, and this is what I've been afraid of since 2006: is there's going to come that bubble because we keep making it worse. There's going to come that bubble. The reason why 2008 came back is because. The Fed did quantitative easing and pumped all this. The, the stock market is completely unpegged from reality. They, 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 it doesn't have the, the um, metrics that you usually use to say, oh, is that a good stock or a bad stock? Doesn't, it doesn't, they don't matter anymore. Nothing matters anymore. You can't predict it based on earnings or anything else that plays a little bit of a role but it's all of these uh, big, huge investment firms that have borrowed all of this money that have poured it into the stock market. They don't know where to put it. And so they're putting all this money into the stock market. When that happens, it collapses. And, you know, my stockbroker is like, Glenn, just what you said. Glenn, it's going to be fine. I-, I don't think so. I'm calling him today. He's going he's gonna to flip. Uh, no, well, I, I mean, I, put it, take it out. Take it out. Any good. You can't live that way. And do what with right. it, though? What do you do with it? Uh, what he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put it in a, in a small bank, a local small bank that has no, I know one, I, that's where I bought my house. They don't sell my mortgage mm-hmm. to another bank. They keep it in-house, and they keep their balance sheets clean, and they don't let the outside world infect and so they're not into CDOs and, you know, everything else. But any good investment advisor 
would be able to tell you, look, if you don't have the tolerance for risk and I know. You think something like this is coming, it, to make you comfortable, you should be out of it. I know, I know. It's everybody's comfort level. Some people are comfort. I, I, I tell you, I, I've been saying that something bad's going to happen, and I've been reading them all through the summer, and I just feel like we're close. I could be, I'm always wrong on this, but it just doesn't feel good to me right now. I'm too much of a weenie. I'm out. Wow. The Glenn Beck Program. Mercury. is the Glenn Beck Program. Am I alone in this? Am I alone in this crash feeling? Uh, well, I mean, you're not getting out of everything, right? You're not getting out of our investment, right? Because... Are we allowed to talk about that? Well, yeah, I think we just we closed it off. Um, and about a year ago, I invested everything I have, 100%, into Velcro. Pat did some research. Now listen to this. Pat did some research. What? Years ago... Mm-hmm. Like, I don't like, know, 1950. All of it. Like the shoe every, stuff? Every listen to me. Yeah, yeah listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Like 1950, this company was nowhere. Right. Okay? Nowhere. Nowhere. Laughing stock. I don't know what happened. Big boom. All right. Okay. Spiked. All right. Spiked through the roof. Mm-hmm. Then it's just kind of plateaued. Right. Well, well I, I think I've been talking about it. It is about. There's a second wave. There's of a second coming. wave coming. Now, I'm, we're both bad on timing. Right. So I don't know when that's going to happen. But, but we I are know gonna, there's a second to me, Velcro listen wave. Listen to me. Listen to me. <laughs> we okay. could, could we open for a second round of Velcro? Because we could get them into, for instance, we could get them into the baby. I mean, let's see how the demand goes. All right. I'm going to let you in. Ground floor. Mm-hmm. Okay. We are going to clean house on the baby market. Baby, baby shoes. Get rid of. Don't think, they think bigger than the shoes and everything else. Get rid of all cribs. Yeah, all cribs have gone. The the uh, we're proposing that we wrap babies and we're going to get in with the hospitals now, mm-hmm. okay. so they automatically you come home with a Velcro blanket, and you wrap the baby in the Velcro swaddling, basically. swaddle. Yep. You stick them to the wall. <laughs> saves on space. Okay. Saves on space. Saves oh, on extra furniture that you don't need. It's that's you buy that furniture and you need it for a couple of years and then you got to go buy another one. It's a scam. The Velcro crib, you stick them to the wall. Think of this. Harry was just talking about the 60. Think about, think about you know, my tiny house. Mm. He was talking about the 66-square-foot right. uh, house right. selling for $135,000 in China. Mm-hmm. Dream come true. Listen to this one. Go ahead. I'll buy your 66-square-foot uh, house. I'll go into a tiny house, but it's, it's a Glenn and Pat Velcro house mm-hmm. where on the main floor, well, there's only one room. But it's oh, yeah, two it's rooms in one. On the floor, of course, is my, I get up in the morning and it's my dining room. I peel my children from the Where wall. Where are you getting up from? The wall. Okay. Yeah, we got rid of the bed. Velcro to the wall. to the wall. Okay. Okay. So I peel my children off the wall. I sit them down at the table. We make uh, breakfast. We have a great breakfast. Mm-hmm. Now let's say I homeschool. All right, kids, let's, uh, let's, let's clean up the kitchen. We all do that anyway. Go into the right. living room. Let's let's start working on stuff. All we do instead of going to the living room, we take the furniture and we 
peel the furniture, the living room furniture, off the ceiling. And so we, like, take down the sofa right. off the ceiling, and we put the dining room chairs and tables up on the ceiling. You think bigger than the Place shoe it. stuff. How many times? This is big. So you're not sure. You're too small-minded, maybe, to understand yeah. this concept, Stu. You're just not, you don't hey, seem to be. Maybe. You don't <laughs> seem <laughs> to be getting it. Our broker says this is It's your is money, nuts. whatever. Do yeah. whatever you want. Our Stay broker is like, market. Velcro? We're like, you don't get it, brother. <laughs> You don't get it. <laughs> yeah, you might be wrong on the timing of this, you think? Maybe. Might be. Maybe. Might be. Maybe. By how we many might be, years? We might be 50 years behind or ahead. We're not sure. Maybe 70. <laughs> like no, we're pretty one sure of those. there is a second wave coming. <laughs> Here we are. I don't think we're... We're be- in it for the long term. Yeah. yeah. Just think of the baby thing. Okay. For instance, my grandson. He always has to be held and you have to stand up. I don't know how he's thinking, how he knows when I'm sitting down... But I'll be damned every time I sit down, he starts to cry. Yeah. So I have to stand up. Mm-hmm. What do I do? I have a Velcro baby spot on the wall surrounded by a mirror. Okay? Mm-hmm. And I come up and I'm like, hey, look it in the mirror, look in the mirror. And he's looking in the mirror and I'm holding right in front. I stick him to that Velcro spot. Now I could, I'm not holding him anymore. I can walk around. He still thinks he's, I'm holding him because he's seeing me in the mirror. I can be as far as like three feet away doing other stuff, hands-free. Baby's still on the wall. He thinks we're standing. The important thing is you're hands-free. I'm hands-free. You do. Think of the (laughs) new Velcro baby mirror wall. That's just one of the, that's just off the top of my head. Any hardware store, you could buy Velcro strips Mm -hmm. and theoretically do this right now. That's the genius. Oh, that's the genius? mm -hmm. Yeah, because we feel the brand name of Glenn and Pat, huge. It's worth a fortune. You should see how many people are right now, oh, especially right now. Already lining up. They're lining up saying, how do I get a piece of the Glenn Beck, Pat Gray brand? <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, they haven't called yet, but they are. They're we, about to. We thinking about it. We may be ahead or behind the curve on that one, too. There's got to be some medical applications that can put it over the top. Medical applications. Think of this. Think of this. You want to change out hearts or kidneys? Velcro them in. How easy is that? At heart, so you get you 3D print a heart. It's going to go right in with a 3D print. You 3D print a heart. You don't need surgery. You Velcro open the skin. You pull out the heart. Put another one in. You're done. I don't think that's how surgery. I was even works. thinking. I was well, today, it not now. today. It doesn't now. They're not thinking. They're not Velcro's thinking like like we are. The entrepreneurs. I mean, that's, just that's south than I was east I was of Silicon Valley. Slightly southeast of Silicon Valley, like Texas. There's a lot of differences between you guys and Silicon Valley. Like, well, yeah, they're not invested in Velcro. Right. You know what? That's interesting. They're not. Yeah. They have a lot of money. Could invest in Velcro. Yeah. Not but investing in Velcro. Too short-sighted. Whatever. Or long-sighted. I'm not sure which. But, <laughs> too much of one of them. <laughs> what if they're the perfect combination of both? The odds of that are right. The odds of that are impossible. The odds of that are impossible. Okay. Mm. So we feel we've been so right on so many things lately. Oh, like Donald Trump. How right? (laughs) We feel. (laughs) Look, we are in the pocket with the American people right now. Uh, Didn't they? They will follow us anywhere. Speaking of Trump, weren't there five new women last night that came out and said that they uh, that he had groped them? The fembots? Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what funny. they were. They're mechanical machines they built are? by Hillary Clinton. Okay. All right. Donald Trump has touched me. <laughs> <laughs> by the way, we should give credit to Ben Shapiro. Or was he right? 
who legitimately right after in the debate it happened with that question and answer where Anderson Cooper said, have you ever actually participated in these activities you described in, in the controversial video? Yep. And he said, no, he denied it, he denied it. Right after that, he posted, this exchange is the setup, the next week is going to be the punchline. And what has happened? I mean, even if... Five you- women last night came out and said, uh, yes. That's, that's me. And so, who knows? I mean, I don't know which ones are true, which ones aren't, uh, which, you know... They all we have different we we still, But he's still throwing down the gauntlet of the Bill Clinton stuff. Well, the whole premise of Bill Clinton is you, you believe have the to women. believe the women. Right. Yeah. And then he's so he's throwing that gauntlet down. This is the dumbest strategy I've ever seen in my life. And, you know, uh, I believe it was Dana uh, Lash who pointed this out initially. But, I mean, Steve Bannon walked this campaign right into that trap. Yeah. He allowed that. He, he encouraged that strategy. And this genius walked that campaign right into this disaster. I mean, you want to talk about being responsible for this collapse. We, I don't know. I mean, we don't know yet about these women, what's real and what's not. But I mean, regardless, the effect is going to be potent. And it's because the advisor he brought on from Breitbart walked them right into it. Walked them right into it. Pretty amazing. Really. You're saying he owns this? <laughs> okay. All right. Let's stop here. Hey, I made a list. I made a list of I made a list of what should what should the president what should we if we're going to look for a leader what should they be like if we had to make a list. Now check these off if you're a Clinton, uh, uh, Trump, or Gary Johnson, or or uh, Evan McMullen, or or whoever Daryl Castle supporter. Mm-hmm. Mark these off the list. Tell me how many yours gets. Um, they have to be above reproach. It's just I put this list together. You might disagree with it, but I put 13 things together. They have to be above reproach. They have to be faithful to his wife. They have to be... Um, uh, or husband. Or, or husband, yeah. They have to um, have an even temper. They have to have self-control. They need to be respectable. Um, they have to be hospitable and kind. Uh, they have to be able to teach. I think that's really important. Uh, they, can't, they can't be a drunk. Um, they have to be, and when I mean that, I mean they can't be a drunk, they can't be a druggie, they can't be, they can't, they, they, they have to be in control of themselves. Addicted um, to substances of any Yes. Um, they can't be uh, violent. They have to be a gentle person, and I think a gentle man or a gentle woman. They can't want to pick fights all the time. Um, they can't be a lover of money. They have to manage their own family well. Um, and they have to have a good reputation with people outside of their circle. You have to be like 100% of all of those? Maybe a little bit in... Well, I mean, it is my list. Wait, well, it actually is not my list. It's actually what the Bible says you are supposed to look for in a leader. So it's not my list. So the Bible um, probably expects 100%. So the Bible probably expects. But it's two Timothys. I don't even know who these Timothys are. <laughs> right? And, and right? sticklers. Both Timothys. Both Timothys. They're, I mean, I mean, you're going to do something. Do it with the big guys. You know, if, if John or Mark or Luke or Paul or one of those guys. Fair. 
you know, they say something. Who is this Timothy guy? Where did he come from? And I'll say and there's two of them. And there's two of them. Right. It's, it's the, like the five guys. Who yeah. Have is the, it the first Timothy or the second Timothy? This is the oh, second Timothy. <laughs> so we don't even know. There's there's not. They didn't even differentiate between the last names. They're just like, ah, oh, there's that first guy named Timothy and here's the second Timothy. All right. What am I going to listen to that guy for? Plus, if the Bible was so smart, it would have called the second Velcro revolution, which it doesn't even Amen, mention. Amen, brother. It doesn't even mention Velcro. Amen. The entire book. Look By the way, out of those, out of those, mm-hmm. I can give him maybe one. He can manage his own family well. Well, same with her, though. Yes. Same um, with her. Yeah, let's go over these with her. Let's Wait, go over these. Uh, just, just quickly, how many times has he been married? Yeah, okay. So let's go over here. Um, she has to be above reproach. No. No. Faithful to her husband. Well, maybe. maybe. I don't know. We, we don't know differently. Yeah. Right. Um, uh, even-tempered. No, I don't think so. No. I mean, she's okay. Most she's of the not, time. She's not, she's not prone to crazy outbursts. She's had a few. Oh, we heard. And I should be able to disagree with this administration or any administration. All right, all right, all right. Self-controlled. No. No. Respectable, no. Hospitable and kind, I'd say no. no. And, and I think Secret Service would say no. Yeah. yeah. Um, able to teach. No, I mean, she, I, no, no. Or communicator. Right? Yeah, yeah. She's not not given to drunkenness. Yes, I've never seen one. her plastered. Yeah. Neither one of them. Yep. No, and he doesn't drink at all. Um, gentle, not prone to violent uh, outbursts. Uh, no. No. Yeah. Not quarrelsome. Not somebody who is. Prone to just starting arguments. No. No. Not a lover of money. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Don't even answer that. It's rhetorical. Uh, must manage their own family well. I, I think that they could both, you could say on both of them uh, about the children. The children turned out to be okay, that we know of. How much credit we give to either one and how really well adjusted they really are, I don't know. But it seems to be. Um, and it has to have a good reputation with people outside their circle. No. They don't even have a good reputation with people in their circle. Right. Mm-hmm. Especially her. I can only give them, out of the 14, I can only give them... Oh, and uh, by the way, the 13th one I didn't mention was, must, be a re- it must not be a recent convert. So can't, it couldn't have just found it. Has to have some seasoning behind it. And live it for a while. That counts that? his out. Which Tim it's said a that? second Tim. I don't even know who the first one is. I can only give them, out of the 14, I can only give both of them two. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. maybe. One, because they don't. he doesn't drink and I've never seen her drink. Yeah, but Glenn, we're not looking for a pastor in church. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, we're don't tell you. Don't tell me. Don't tell Thank me. You. Tell this Tim yeah. guy. Uh, I don't know who the Tim perfect. guy is. Yeah, the guy who didn't just, the guy who didn't see Velcro coming. Right. We're gonna trust him. I mean, we're just gonna we're just gonna use Second Timothy now, <laughs> to, where he says, "Hey, this is how you should pick a leader." <laughs> like we're gonna listen to that, please. And now this, my Patriot Supply. It has been said that any society is three missed meals away from chaos. Imagine that. Amen. Three. <laughs> For you, that happens before noon. Um, you, you don't want to suffer through a crisis without access to food. Protect yourself and your family by building an emergency food supply. You are a slave to the government if you can't feed your family. You're a slave. You will take that food from anybody because you have to. 
If you lose your job, if you just can't make ends meet, don't be a slave to anyone. Right now, my Patriot Supply is offering their four-week food supply for $99. It's 140 adult servings, easy-to-cook food, lasts 25 years, 140 servings. Order now, 800-200-7163. Limit two at this $99 price, 800-200-7163. Do that now. Four weeks of food for $99. 800-200-7163 or preparewithglenn.com That's preparewithglenn.com Glenn Beck Program 888-727-BECK Mercury We have time here. We have to play. Jay Leno predicted how horrible this election would be in 1999. Cut 479. Listen. And Donald Trump announced he is forming a presidential exploratory committee. Donald Trump wants to run for president. Do you see him on Larry King? He said he wants to give the country a change from Clinton. That's what he said. A change? Trump's a womanizer. He's got marriage problems. He's involved in all kinds of strange real estate deals. He is Clinton. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much the same thing. Wow. And the worst part is it's it's the same person or the right. last name he's running against, too. It's like we have not advanced as a society at all. At we all. are in free fall. At all. It is amazing to me the how stupid the Bannon strategy is here mm. on taking Clinton on on this. I mean, when I saw that he was doubling down and going after, first of all, Hillary is the candidate, not Bill. Hillary. Right. And, and their same things are being said about you. And you're saying dismiss those things about me because we dismissed them about him and it didn't work out. It doesn't work. I don't understand how this this genius strategy is supposed to work. This is the Glenn Beck Program. Mercury.